Hi, I'm Dr. Farah Kamengar. We're here at the SF Derm Eczema Symposium and 100 Year Celebration with Dr. Tim Berger, who has been a long time SF Derm supporter, member, and we're so lucky to have you here. I'm gonna read the full on bio because I think it's this time we really need to do it. So Dr. Tim Berger is a professor emeritus of dermatology. He completed his medical school training at the University of Texas, Dallas, followed by dermatology residency at the Letterman Army Medical Center and Dermatopathology Fellowship at the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology. He specializes in rare, challenging, and complex skin disorders. He cares for patients with autoimmune bullous disease, viral skin diseases, sexually transmitted diseases of the skin, skin diseases of the tropics, photosensitivity, and pruritus, most importantly, which is what we're talking about today. Dr. Berger has been inducted into the UCSF Academy of Medical Educators, an honor bestowed on faculty members who have shown particular dedication to medical student teaching. And I myself have learned a, a lot, lot from, from you through the years as a medical, medical student, student and resident. I can attest, attest to that, to the excellence in teaching. In 1989, he was honored with the Henry Kaiser Award for Excellence in Teaching. And in both 1991 and 2001, the UCSF Residence in Dermatology named Dr. Berger Teacher of the Year. He has served on the board of the American Academy of Dermatology. He has published more than 125 scientific articles 12 book chapters and two books. So thank you so much for, for being here. It's, it, it has made the event so much better having you here. So, and today we're hoping to ask you about um, innovations and uh, trends in itch, which you always have the best slides on and speakers and talks on. And we just heard one not too long ago. Um, so the first question, I feel free to answer in any order, but the first question I'll start with is um, if you could please explain the important new findings in the science of, of itch and how that might change all the management. Yeah, well, I mean, this story began when they showed that there were specific itch nerves in the skin that were dedicated to simply mediating itch. And that then led to a whole series of scientific discoveries uh, about targeting those nerves as a way of managing itch. Over time, it's now become clear that those nerves are also pro-inflammatory and that there's a crosstalk between the nerves and the immune system yeah, that doesn't go just one way from the immune cells to the nerves, but back again and that the nerves activate yeah, the immune cells as well. That's and so beautiful. that I think is a really important, and we'll talk more about that in treatment management. The second important concept was this idea of sensitization so that the skin nerves, like all nerves, can have memory and they can remember to do lots of things. Unfortunately, they can remember to itch. And so your patient who has persistent itch, it might be a problem now that the primary cause of the itch is gone, but the sensitization has set in and you have to manage the sensitization. So it's like I tell patients like chronic pain. You had a leg ulcer. It was terribly painful. They amputated your leg. You still have the pain because the nerves have learned that pain. And so itch can be learned as well. And it means we really have to hang on when we treat our patients through this sensitization period. The third thing is that we thought we knew the immune network, and now the fibroblast shows up as this producer of periostin, a pro-inflammatory Th2 cytokine that permeates the whole dermis in all these inflammatory skin diseases that we treat. And we have no targets for them we have no idea what regulates them. So that's gonna be one of the things in the future. And then the way that we think about the barrier is both inside out, but also outside in. And these recent studies by 
our faculty and medical students and residents that showed that the wildfires with pollution getting on the skin of patients with eczema flared their disease outside in problem. And I think in the elderly specifically, that outside in piece is going to be more critical uh, and maybe will be more manipulable. That's good. So as, as, as they age, it's, think this is more the inflammation that you talked about that are all these parts of the, just the fibroblast dysregulation, the immune system and the nerves. It's very interesting yeah. science that's the, coming the, up. The problem is the network becomes more and more complex yes. until it becomes simple. And I think the, the fibroblast dysregulation within dermatology, the first we, we kind of saw it was in the, the aging and anti-aging type of research where they're looking at the collagen breakdown and, and trying to come up with anti-aging type of uh, products and all of that, which is so interesting that now we're associating with the more kind of typical general dermatology conditions that we see as well. Well, I, I always think about the anterior shin of the thin, older white woman and how they get rashes and they get skin cancers there. And what's happened there is the fibroblasts are gone. And it shows us how important they are in regulating the health of the skin. And we sort of completely ignored them. So hopefully we'll have more A lot science more data, about that. More science. Up. And so related to that, what new drugs do you think within the five years might become available now that we know more of the science? Yes. So we had some talk about the biologics. And I think that the next biologic kind of addition is going to be IL-31 inhibitors uh, and how nemalizumab is going to get labeled and be available uh, to us. But specifically to treat itch, I think it's going to be important. IL-31 is really important in stimulating the nerve to itch directly. IL-4 and IL-31 sensitize the nerves and they create neural sensitization peripherally. But the IL-31 sticks right on the nerve and activates it. So blocking that should really help with itch. Uh, we'll have more information about the JAK inhibitors. Um, there are neurokines, which we don't know yet, things secreted by the nerves that activate the immune system, so they'll be targets. Um, the nerves themselves, um, we know that capsaicin binds on nerves, and that receptor is NK1. The first NK1 inhibitor kind of had some efficacy, but wasn't great. But I think that'll be pursued. Uh, a prepotent, which we talked about, can work for cancer-associated, so that's an NK1 inhibitor. Opiates, naltrexone, uh, specifically, and butorphanol less frequently. Those are available, kind of, but there'll be more kappa agonists, so there's gonna be oral naloxone, essentially, uh, available. And when we have that, we'll have a really effective drug. The nerves have uh, receptors on their surface or molecules on their surface that set their sensitivity. And there turns out there are blockers for those neural sensitivity receptors. And they're in phase three trials for chronic itch. So we'll not only have drugs that sort of block the nerve, right. but that modulate the sensitivity. So the nerve, as you think about it, would have an on-off switch, and then it'll have a volume knob, and we'll have things that'll That's bind amazing. on that volume <laughs> knob, right? Um, it turns out the benzodiazepines have a pentavalent receptor on their surface, and it turns out that different nerves use different benzo receptors, and there's one specific for the skin with these pentameter, and it turns out that the benzodiazepine that stops itch 
is non-addicting, non-sedating. Everything you'd want. Right? It sounds pretty good. So if that pans out in trials, we may be back with benzos uh, that are safe to use as opposed to ones that right, we currently don't feel safe and... using chronically. So I think that those are all going to be things. No one has really picked up the cannabinoids as a as a target. Um, and uh, I'm hoping that a pharmaceutical company will get into that um, because they do, uh, in moderate doses, have benefit for itch. So I think those are all things that we're going to see. And then we talked about, like, periostin. And then lastly, I didn't talk about it earlier today, but the microbiome on the surface of the skin determines a lot, especially in atopic dermatitis. And uh, the NIH has a lab. UCSD has a lab that are looking at modulated staph epi strains that will keep staph aureus off of eczema skin and potentially therefore suppress inflammation. And lastly, there's a village in France called La Roche-Poussée. And it was a place where people with skin disease came to bathe in the waters to clear their skin. Turned out when they took this water out, it has a gram-negative organism that's non-inflammatory but this place is staph aureus from the surface of the skin. And so that's going to be another method. So treating the skin microbiome may be a way we attack pruritus. That's amazing. Lots of things coming down. Yeah, so we have lots of Down options. the pipeline. Yeah. And what do you think of, so with the idea of sensitization, there's this kind of idea in the other models, like with Pemphigus vulgaris, like hit it very hard with rituxan initially, maybe modulate the outcome psoriasis now has some data. Maybe if we hit it really hard early on, maybe we can prevent arthritis forming. Do you think now with these therapies coming out, we'll probably need more research, but if you kind of, at the onset, if you go pretty heavy duty, use stronger medicines, biologics, then maybe we can alter some of that sensitization and the chronicity? Um, I, I think, I'm just gonna, there's two things. Number one, the patient with pryogonodularis is particularly difficult to treat. And even when their skin disease is completely clear and you try to take the drug away, they flare. So, so that we know that that sensitization can be suppressed, but is really hard to break. The idea, and, and it seems from, I think, general experience that the longer someone's ditch and the longer they've dealt with the problem, the more difficult it is to get things under control. So um, you would hope that if someone early on gets on treatment, prove that is going to be really what? challenging right. because most of the patients are going to come in already with persistent and they severe. They've probably had it for some time, yeah. and especially by the time they come to you because they've probably seen all of us <laughs> and we're referring to you. So. Well, I, but I think just in general, yeah. we're not going to initiate the use of a biologic agent, especially at the current prices. True. In patients and it's hard to actually have get early them on you know, right. things because we're going to do topical steroids. Things. Things. I think that the this neural sensitivity discovery research, and there's some preliminary evidence for this, that people are genetically predisposed to go into that space. Yes. Yeah. And if we could identify what those risk factors are, then we might be able to avoid or more aggressively manage the patient who's at greater risk or maybe modulate their treatment to target the nerves more to avoid that sensitization. So I think that that's how it will play out is that we'll 
prevent sensitization by identifying the at-risk individuals. It turns out persons of color, Asians and African-Americans, appear to have these at-risk genes sure. for sensitization. So um, more to come. More to come there. That's true. I think maybe, maybe personalized medicine will answer a lot of a lot of these things as we get more tools, yeah. more tests. And next question, what research gaps do you think exist currently? And we, I think we touched on some yeah, of them. Yeah, I think the whole idea of how nerves talk to the immune system, that's going to be the next uh, big area, the fibroblast and what it does, completely that's unstudied. Right. Yeah. So I think there's still plenty of excitement uh, in the field. Yes, yes. Yeah, the fibroblasts are becoming popular. Yes. Are, it's, I think it's the time of the fibroblasts. Yeah, the fibroblasts is coming. Anti-aging is look at it, itch. Yeah, so well, we're now learning you know, a lot they, more. Have, they have phenotype and genotype the fibroblasts in the skin to sort of predict their functionality. And so there's, for instance, a cancer-associated fibroblast. So the fibroblasts in skin change in a way that they're now permissive for cancer growth. And so we're hoping that that research will spill over to the pruritus-associated fibroblast and we'll be able to phenotype you, our patients. So you'd imagine you take a biopsy yes. and your biopsy would say urticarial hypersensitivity. It'll say this cytokine, that cytokine, that, that cytokine are elevated, right? So it allows you to choose a biologic. And then it'll say the phenotype of your fibroblast is expressing this thing. So that's pro-carcinogenic, pro-inflammatory, yes. you know? So yes. you can imagine that and that, that, that skin would be biopsy that you do actually will give you useful information. Useful information, right, right. No, that would be, that, that, that's a good <laughs> good time to come. And I think I got the signal from Steph here. So the last question, and then also we always ask, and since it's the Future of Dermatology podcast, we ask what gaps you think there are in the future or what you basically, where you see the future of itch going. And I'll combine that with the last question too of if you think there's ways to kind of use what we have, combination therapies more effectively and what you see in the future for Yeah, so I think I'll answer the second question first. So now that we know how important the nerves are in this whole process, combining an anti-inflammatory treatment and a neurally targeted treatment ends up being what we do. And I was held up coming here to do this by a dermatologist whose father, 92 retired physician, um, was stuck with horrible itching. And it wasn't until we added Dupixin plus gabapentin wow. naltrexone yes. that we were adequately able to block yes. his inflammatory invisible itch. So um, that, that combination is gonna be, I think, the wave of the future until we have another generation of agents that have not yet been discovered. The uh, future of itch, I think, is good because it's now recognized how severe it affects a patient's quality of life. And uh, so, and, and we have ways of measuring it that are reproducible. And the pharmaceutical industry is interested in producing drugs that help. So we have a good partnership with pharma in that regard. So um, I see the future as being bright. Right one. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for coming. You're and, welcome. And thank you for doing time. this. <laughs>